and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered. And at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode is entrepreneur Liv Conlon, who I met recently when she slid into my DMs and asked me to be a guest on her podcast, Thought Leaders Chat. We got to know each other and Liv's own story is so interesting and inspiring that I asked if she would like to be a guest on this show and she very kindly agreed. Liv is a speaker, entrepreneur and leader in the home staging industry and if you Google her, you'll likely come across the fact that by the time she was 19, 19, she had built a £1 million brand. Her story of entrepreneurship starts in her teens when she started buying nail foils online and selling them on. Then by chance, she had the opportunity to help her mother sell a flat. The flat just wasn't selling, despite being a great property, but Liv was able to sell it in a few days by staging it. The tenacity of entrepreneurship was evident really early on. She decided not to go to university and to take a business that was doing well and scale it up, which is exactly what she has done. She is now 21 years old, travels the world talking about business, offering support to fellow business owners, and growing her own business. When I was chatting to Liv, I was trying so hard to think of myself at 21 and whether I could have achieved what she has, and the hard truth was probably not. So I wanted to bring her to the podcast so she could share a little of her magic, give some insight into how she's approached business, how she's achieved her goals, and continues to strive for success and so much more. The links to live and that podcast we did together that I mentioned earlier will be in the show notes. But without any further ado, it's entrepreneur Liv Conlon on The Emma Gunn Show. Liv Conlon, welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Emma, thanks so much for having me on. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And also listeners, I should say, Liv very kindly invited me onto her podcast recently, which is Thought Leaders Chat. Is that the right? Yeah, Thought Leaders Chat. And we had a great time and I was so flattered when you DM me and said, would I like to come on the show? And then as we got to know lots about each other, it just seemed so obvious that you would be a wonderful guest for my podcast. So how perfect. Yeah, I know. It was such a, like, I think we were like separated at birth when we met on the podcast. <laughs> like we have so much in common. So no, it's great to be here and be in the interviewee seat instead of being the interviewer. <laughs> it's a weird thing. Also, we, we are not separated at birth because we've just established I'm over twice your age, which <laughs> makes me feel so funny. But we'll uh, we'll move along from that swiftly before the tears begin to fall. So one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the show is because you have a really fascinating story. You are 21 years old. You have been named Young Entrepreneur of the Year, Young uh, Scottish Businesswoman of the Year. And if you put your name into Google, you will immediately, probably the first result will come up with Liv Conlon, a million quid. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, For our international listeners, obviously, I mean a million pounds, because you are one of these young businesswomen who has taken the business world by storm. And at 21, uh, it's basically like standing shoulder to shoulder. I saw on Instagram the other day where you 
in like a group chat or something with some of the nation's most famous female entrepreneurs? Yeah, so I was actually, um, it was a collaboration between the UK's largest female magazine, which is uh, Fabulous, and Karen Brady. So it was a bit of an interview where she was asking me some questions, which was really cool because obviously I grew up watching The Apprentice and she was always on that. And so it was pretty cool to meet like in person, on camera, like one of my, I guess you could say business, women, women in business idols. So do you think... You're 21 now, so this isn't... Some people might think, well, surely this is this story is just like spans a couple of years, but it doesn't really, does it? Where did this appetite for being, if appetite is the right word, but where did this sort of desire to become a businesswoman, to be self-employed, to make your own money, where did that come from and when did it start? Yeah, so I think for me, it came from actually watching my mum. She was always self-employed from when she had me. Um, so I was always watching her and watch her at business and used to go along like skip school all the time and go to business meetings with her and just like really just launch myself into that world from a very young age, like talking about, you know, age 10, 11. So when I was 13, I actually had the idea that I would import some products from China via Alibaba and then I would sell them onto eBay. So I was doing that when I was still at school. Um, I think I bought was buying the packs that was actually nails for I think it was 37 pence and then was selling them on at about five dollars or five pounds um so for me that was like my first insight into business what it was like and also then making my own money um so when I was 16 and it was time to leave school it was basically a decision of like do you want to go on to university or do you want to do something else and for me after those experiences it was never ever a question that I was just going to leave and start my own business and I had grades to, to do what I wanted at university but it just was never a path that I wanted to go down because well one being an entrepreneur I'm really bad at taking direction from other people like I could never have a boss I hated school that you know they told you where to be when to be there and like I just love the freedom of of being a business owner. So that's something that's really interesting to me is you started buying these nail foils online and selling them on and very quickly you're going to understand like the cost of your product and then profit. So you're going to begin to understand the machinations and the P&L, the profit, of, profit and loss and all of those things. But what really did strike me about that is the fact that you were probably for someone who was in their teens making really good money and not having to work for anyone. And when I think about my generation, all of our, everyone that I can think of when we talk about our first jobs, it was working for somebody else, working in a shop, working in retail or what have you. But do you think that watching your mum and the fact that you kind of join those dots with the buying online and selling on, do you think that that was the, the guts, the foundation for what you ended up going on doing? Yeah, I think so. Because even now, like in business, I have like quite a simple brain when I think of it. I think about like, how much will it cost me to buy that? And how much can I make when I sell it? So what is the difference? Like, what is that profit? And I think any business deal or investment that I look at, I always look at it very simply. And I think you can complicate it with fancy words and make yourself sound much more intelligent. But for me, it just really is looking at those like proper basic groundings. And that's really how I've thought about business every point from there. Anything I do, I look at the time invested, how much it will cost, and then how much you can make off the back end of it. It's such an interesting, um, what's the word, not incarnation? Initiation, that's yeah. it. 
into the world into the world of business. And so you mentioned before, when I came on your podcast, we talked about school. Mm-hmm. And you, I, I've always been very honest about the fact that I was not clever at school. And so further education was something I was lucky to get. But you were very clever at school. And so when you actually said, I'm not really interested in university, I mean, petticoats were, pearls were clutched and petticoats were hidden behind. Petticoats were hidden behind, weren't they? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I went into the careers office because I remember it quite vividly. We had this like sheet to fill in and you had to tick if you were staying, if you're going to uni, like what you were doing. And I ticked that I was just going to be like leaving school with no employment. And I think the careers <laughs> office must have got that form. And of course, they want you to go to university. It improves their stats. It makes them look better. And they were like, are you like they called me in privately and said like are you okay like is something going on in your life that you're gonna like choose this route is your little interior design business really gonna do that well so they just they, they actually said I was gonna ruin my life by choosing the path that I'd chosen I um, but I at the time I do not almost don't know where the self-confidence actually came from I was just like nope I'm doing it and yeah I'll just I'll just leave and I'll just start well, you mentioned there the interiors business, so let's let's actually talk about that. So you went from nail foils onto um, property staging is probably the right way of, or your business yeah. is called the property stages, right? Yeah. So basically, my mum was involved in property uh, throughout my teens, and she had one property that she couldn't sell. So it was a two bed apartment. It had no furniture in it, but it was really nice. Now it sat on the market for three months, and no one wanted to buy it. There was no offers. Um, people couldn't imagine how they would actually live in that space I'm um, so I knew a lot about home staging property staging and said to her like let's find someone that can maybe do that for us and there was no one pretty much in the country that was offering it at a good price that you could even remotely afford so yes yeah, very much it used to be more of a high-end thing didn't it? like luxury homes yeah so it's usually like at the time it was mainly like you know million dollar homes being staged I mean, no one was really doing it for smaller type developments. I mean, this was a £80,000 apartment, so it wasn't expensive. So you couldn't spend, at the time, it was about £10,000 just to stage it Mm -hmm. um, for other companies. So I decided to stage it. We went to Ikea, got all the stuff, staged it, and then it sold within three days um, after sitting on the market for three months. So my little business mind went, oh, this could be a good idea. And actually how the light bulb moment went about. (laughs) So, I mean, great. Your mum had a flat on the market, so it was very easy. But then how does that become something where you're suddenly getting access to, as a teenager, what do you go into an estate agent and say, hi, I can sell your properties quicker than you're currently selling them by doing this? Yeah, I mean, it's not that much more complicated than that. Basically, what I I done from there was that I decided, yep, this is what I'm going to do. I actually got some like rubbish little flyers printed that I now look at and cringe. (laughs) I I started going to estate agents. um, I went to networking events. And I really was just, you know, sort of walking up to people and saying, this is what I can do. Here's a case study. This is what I done for one of my apartments. Um, and I can do it for you too. And to be honest, it's just those first few paying clients that you need to then get the ball rolling and get you on to that next step. So, right, there's so much to unpack here because I feel like 
it feels like we could just move on and we could we could be up at present day really quickly. So let's talk about because I'm presuming there must have been some challenges along the way. Um, how do you get investment? How do you? I mean, it, business is never particularly smooth, and there are definitely hurdles that one faces. So, for you, what do you think was the first thing that you came up against where you thought, "Oh, actually, this might not be as easy as I thought it was going to be." Yeah. So basically, I started the business with absolutely like zero startup funds. Like, so I had I was just out of school, and as I mentioned, like I've never worked for anyone. Um, and I didn't really have any money that you would think you need to start a business. So the first hurdle was getting that very first client, because at that point, you don't really have much to show for it. You're really hoping that someone sees the potential in you, the business owner, and wants to give you a chance. And very much so, that was one of my first installations. It was someone who could see the value of the service, but really took a bit of a punt on me, I would say. So that was really great and it was a really lovely guy and, and it all worked out. But the challenge was that I was charging like a certain amount for the installation and then I had to buy all the furniture for that property within that budget because I didn't have any more cash. So it was a lot of the first couple of years I was just like going on so many bargain hunts looking for furniture that was cheap enough to get within the budget. But the, the beauty of that business was that then once I had one set of furniture, I rented it to the client and then I could just keep moving that furniture onto the next property and then make pretty much that whole fees profit. So wow. that was sort of like how we managed to scale because we didn't, I've never taken investment from my company. It's been always, it's been completely just using our own cash and constantly recycling it. What about, uh, did anyone, I mean, we've talked about when you were at school and they were saying, well, you should be going to university, you mad. Did you come up against anything, the fact that A, you're female and B, you were young and didn't have a qualifications or you couldn't say, yes, I studied interior design at such and such. <laughs> did you feel like there was a period in time where you were having to justify yourself over and above what you were already demonstrating through the work that you were doing? Yeah, I mean, 100%, absolutely. However, I would say that I put that on myself more than anyone. I mean, I always say, tell the story that I walked into networking events in a male-dominated industry. And at the time, I mean, property, the property market and industry is evolving. But at the time, it was mainly middle-aged men, suited and booted. They were so traditional, didn't want to talk about anything flowery, such as... I was coming into these events and saying, look, cushions and artwork and mirrors and sofas, they're going to make you like so much more money on your property deals. It was an uphill struggle. On top of the fact I did look young, I was 16 and I looked 16. I cut like all my hair off to look older and I cut it into a pixie cut. And yeah, I mean, I came up against it probably in the first year. And then at one point I said to myself, like, this has to change. Like, I need to get some confidence about me so that other people can be confident in me. And yeah, that shift, I think, is really the boost that I needed to go from, I guess, imposter syndrome to actually stepping into, like, this is who I am and, and I'm good at this. So I don't, it doesn't matter what I look like. I'm good at what I do and I will help. I will help your property transform, which will ultimately change your bank account. Okay, so talk listeners through that because that's brilliant. I love this, the kind of thing of rather than rather than doubting myself and projecting that onto other people, I'm going to sit within this identity. 
were there any, um, was it a pep talk that you gave yourself? Were there any people who inspired you, who gave you words of wisdom? Or were there any resources that helped you achieve that transition? Yeah, I love this question because, again, I think we, you can just, like, you know, fly over the actual the content behind it. So it wasn't like an overnight transformation. I'm not saying like if you do this tomorrow, you'll feel completely differently about yourself. I mean, I think the first step for me cutting my hair to much, being much shorter was like one of those confidence boosts. So that was that was a great thing for me to do. But I think secondly, the one thing I had to do was approach it before they did, because it often was coming up in business meetings or I could just almost see the way I was being treated. So right. I was actually just going to address the elephant in the room. And age was something that I hid for so long. And then I think, sorry, that's my tongue. Liz Puppy is also joining us on the podcast. It's fine. Is he snoring? Yeah, he's snoring. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I started to address the elephant in the room and I would go into a business meeting and I really would say, look, I know that I'm young. I know that I'm not the traditional person in the, the, the industry, but this really will transform your property. I've got this to prove it because it's happened for these clients. And yeah, things things started to shift. But I think as I stepped into it and I actually said the words aloud, it was almost a bit of an affirmation. Like mm-hmm. I am young, but I can do this. And I'm not what you expect, but I can still do this. I'm, so it was really just, I think, addressing it before they did and then giving them the confidence that, that I could do it. It's not going to matter. And one thing that's really that really struck me was that when you did that first staging, it was about taking a property that wasn't selling and selling it and selling it quickly, meaning that as soon as it goes on the books, there's a huge amount of demand for it. But it's also struck me from what you've said that not only were you helping uh, estate agents that sellers achieve that, you were also potentially impacting the price that buyers were willing to offer. Yeah, so basically... I mean, especially in the past couple of weeks in business, we've had like so much success for our clients. Most of our clients have been getting at least a five to ten thousand pounds higher offer than what is actually being valued at. So what it does when you stage it is it increases the perceived value for the person that's viewing it because you know staging hides imperfections. It makes the property actually look bigger. So yeah, it was really affecting both our client and their end client too. And I mean, a lot of the time that client will actually buy the furniture and it will literally be a walk-in show home. So yeah, they're always willing to pay a little bit more as well if they want that as an actual home to just move their suitcase into. Now, one of the things that regular listeners of this podcast will have heard me say many times is that I... Uh, believe that mistakes are good things, that failure is just a a stepping stone to success. And for somebody so young, it could be seen that because essentially your first business, if obviously you did the nail falls, but essentially your first business has gone from strength to strength. What have you actually been able to learn along the way if there hasn't been a big screw up basically? Yeah, I mean, I think from the outside looking in, it does look like it went from strength to strength. But for me, like, it is a lot of it has been down to myself and my team, like in terms of our hard work. Um, I think when you look in onto a business, it does look like it's going great. But a lot of the times, like, there's so much backpedaling involved, especially when I did have quick growth with the business. So we went from, you know, turning over 30,000 
two million in quite a short space of time and what happens throughout that period of growth is like you're almost not ready for it like I personally didn't feel I was ready for how quickly it grew through our marketing and so a lot of the time I was like we were carrying out installations we were putting on that perfect front it was all going very well but in the background like we were having to work 18 hour days seven days a week to pull it all off um, and that can be quite challenging when you're still trying to be client facing. And I think it was like, I always think of as a bit like a swan in water, like we're pedaling underneath, but we're looking so elegant on top. And I guess that was a challenge. But I mean, the amount of mistakes I've made along the way, there's been massive lessons there. We have put, you know, massive investment in the market and that hasn't worked. We have um, even just the actual logistics of the business, whereas we're moving furniture around the whole country. So you can imagine some of the things that happen, like things not getting delivered, being delayed by five days, and it can set off your whole business off its timetable for about a month. So it's it's quite a challenging one. <laughs> so what do you do if you, so you, I mean, you've mentioned that you're client facing. So if something goes wrong and you can't deliver for whatever reason, because a reason that is out of your control, as you've said, there are so many variables. What's the, are you somebody who just cops to the cops to it and tells the truth? <laughs> I think I've tried it always. And I think I've found the best ways always just to say, look, this has happened. Um, because really at the end of the day, if something does happen in the sort of delivery line and it's totally out with your control, I think a client always appreciates the transparency and being really truthful with them uh, rather than trying to sort it. And I mean, we will always go to the ends of the earth to make it happen. Um, but yeah, things still happen. And especially in this day and age, there's a lot of challenges in terms of deliveries and things. Mm. So let's talk about scaling up because you started off just you probably had help from your family, but the family, a lot of your family are now on the payroll and work within the business. So when it could be really hard to know when to ask for help, when to know, actually, I need somebody to look after my accounts because I can't actually manage it and I don't actually understand a lot of it. At what point and what was the what would be the catalyst that would make you say, okay, it's okay for me to make this decision and for me to make this expense or for me to put this through the business? Oh my God, you're speaking that language, Emma. I That is probably one of the things I struggle with the most is to ask for help. Like I am such a, I guess I've described myself as an independent person, but also like very, like I'm such a perfectionist mm -hmm. that I really struggle to give away control of certain areas in the business. And I think I struggled with it for easily. Now we've been in the property stages for, I think, five years. And I would say I struggled the first three years to give away control um, of a lot of different elements of it, including, uh, especially because of what it is. So it's home staging, which means it's usually my personal style. So it's a very hard business to find like good team members that can carry that out because nine out of 10 people don't have an eye for interior design. So you're already niching down quite a lot into who you can bring into the business. And um, for me, one of the best things that I done was bring family into the business because I knew that I could trust them. So I currently work alongside my mom. She joined me when I was 18, so about a year and a half into the business. Um, and we still work together today. We got on so well. And I know that once she's taken over something, I can completely trust her with it. Um, I think it's always quite challenging when you're bringing someone from the outside in. Um, and we've had so much challenges with team members and hiring the right people. 
Um, but I think one of the one of the best ways to work through that is to do it little by little. And one of the things I still do today is I'll write down my whole to-do list and I'll look at who I can delegate to. Um, so especially if you're looking for one of your first team members, my biggest piece of advice is you write down what you do every single day, even if it's such a small task like send an email to this supplier and then compile that for about two to four weeks and then take that list and then that will form your first job description so that then you're looking for that first team member that can you can actually give a list to and say, look, can you can you carry out all these tasks? Are you capable of that? Do you know how to work these systems? And then if it's a yes, then they're probably a good fit. Now you talked about um, your it's your own personal aesthetic and you have a flair for interior design as we know. But, and I can only really bring my own personal experience into this in that when I was working on magazines, um, I went and did a makeup artistry course because I, because I wanted to be able to write about makeup in the best way possible and make it appeal to the person who it would suit rather than just talk about things from my own personal experience. And I wonder, have you ever considered that? Have you ever thought at some point you will uh, go into a further education or a course or somehow um, enhance the skill that you obviously already have naturally? Yeah, I love that question. I've actually like never been asked that before. Um, for me, I don't think I will because um, what we do is very stylized and it's basically the difference between interior design and home staging is home staging. It's like you're staging a property for like an end user, but it's like mass market. Whereas mm -hmm. your design is very, I'd say probably more skillful. You need to design it for the client, have a brief. Um, and yeah, so we're almost like a cookie cutter. We do provide like an amazing looking service, but there's now a system in place because it's like quite an operational business. Like we'll be staging between three to 500 properties per year. I'm um, so we it to be quite like by the book. This is our system. We'll hand that system to someone. They can add their own personal flair to it, but it's still all the different suppliers that we get from. Um, so for me, probably not. Would some of my team members consider it? Maybe. But what we do is like, it is so branded. It's so on style that we just keep moving with that. Um, and it works. So in terms of cash flow and, and the actual business running, that's what we need to do. Yeah, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And also home staging is about um, people opening the doors and seeing themselves in the property. Whereas interior design is about the property reflects the personality of the person who's living in it right so there is a distinction yeah i mean and we we like will complete like a, a block of 45 apartments in the space of seven days so it's very fast paced um and we need decision makers in the business that are quite decisive with that cushion's going there and i'm hanging that piece of artwork there so there's little time to actually really go into proper detail of I'm designing anything or it's it's all very much planned out for that space. Um, and then our, our team just go and execute. So it's scaled really quickly. And as I said, you know, you Google you and all these figures start uh, coming out about how much turnover you're making. But what what realistically, when you do have that kind of growth, are you thinking, actually, I'd be happy to stay like this for a couple of years, a few years, who knows? Or actually, this is how I'm going to take it to the next level. Because you, as you've already said, you've got a lot of day-to-day, uh, -day, a, a huge amount of work. 
and a huge amount of properties and a, a big team. So where, how do you keep your eye on the future? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's an interesting one because I feel like sometimes your ego can get in the way or your ambition and you can think like bigger means more, like as in, oh, if we scale to 10 million, 20 million, then that will mean like, I'll be better off. My team will be able to have more of an income and all of that and we'll just get bigger and bigger. But with the sort of business that the property stagers is, it's it's a challenging one to scale because when you take on to the next level, you probably need to like double your team, uh, double your warehouse space, double your vans, double your stock, but you don't always double your income or your profit. Mm -hmm. So I would think for anyone that is thinking like, where do I want to take my business, then really sit down and, and work out what would that next stage actually look like? What would the next 3 million a year mean? Does that mean that my outgoings increase by 75%, but my income only increases by 60%? And I think it's just one of those important ones to actually measure out because, yeah, you can get, I think it's like almost like that next shiny object. So for us, like we're actually very happy still growing the business at a more sustainable rate. I'm, I'm not going too much bigger than where we are right now. We're quite happy. Our team are doing really well. Our clients are really happy. And the market yet can't take a much bigger business. Um, so we're quite happy where we are now. And I have done those calculations, so I do know what the next the next phase would look like. Um, but I think we actually need to be a few more years into the home staging industry itself to take it there. Is there now pressure from people who've seen what you've done with this business, seen how you've made it grow, that they're now like, Liv, um, can I get your thoughts on this? And why don't you do this? And that must be a lot of noise that is coming into your, you know, into yeah. your every day. All different senses, yeah. And there's so many people even opening up home staging businesses after hearing my story. And look, I, I love supporting people in the industry. I actually have a, like an online course that I now coach um, other home stagers on in terms of systems to scale and things. But yeah, I mean, there is a lot of noise. And, and funny you say this because I'd be interested to hear how you manage that as well, Emma. Being on social media, like I've actually just deleted all my social media apps from my phone. <laughs> Why? <laughs> And I was like, I was really quite scared to do it because obviously I'm only on social media for business and things. But I thought like I found myself logging on there and constantly just like looking at things, just like filling, yeah, filling my head with noise that I didn't need to hear. Mm -hmm. so now I've got it on my laptop and on my iPad, which I use for business. Um, and I would say this has like changed my life in the past two weeks. Has it really? Yeah. I mean, I just, my screen time came up the other day and I was spending 65% less time on my screen than I was previously. So it just shows me that, you know, those notifications and things, they were just like taking up way too much headspace. How about you? Like, how do you find it? Oh, with, with social media, I have all my notifications turned off. Yeah. That's the one thing. And um, I try and like, it's, it comes back to the Oprah quote, which you've probably heard, which is that when she started uh, the Oprah Winfrey show, which was this you know uh, competitive tea time slot. It was doing really well, and so all the other networks decided to produce a similar kind of show yeah. in the same hour. And about a little while in, her team said to her, "You know, Miss Winfrey, you should really watch some of these shows and see what they're doing to compete with you." And she said, "But if I do that, I take my eye off my prize. Like if you're running a race and you're in front and you look behind you to see where the other people yeah. are, you are going to slow down." 
Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love that quote. And I think that is exactly what, what I mean is like, I was filling my head with other people's stuff that I don't know, but for some reason it was almost having quite a negative impact on my mental health, even though it wasn't, it wasn't jealousy. I think it was just seeing other people um, that I think, yeah, it does. It takes your eye off your lane. And I think you can get caught up in, oh, maybe I should be doing this. Oh, maybe I should be doing that. But actually what you're doing is working. So just keep your head down and keep on with it. So I would highly recommend it to someone that, you know, is maybe struggling with that a little bit. It's such a good point. Well made, Liv. Thank you for saying that because it's thinking that you watch someone else's content and you think maybe I should be doing that. And I definitely, during lockdown early on, possibly got affected by that. And it stopped me from filming content because I thought, oh, so-and-so might watch this and think the way that I've described that serum is really basic and that I'm stupid. And then I thought, well, maybe I am basic and stupid, but somebody will watch it and maybe it will help them. So I'm just going to continue to film my stuff. But it can... like social media is a toughie for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I got caught up the other day and when I was on it for business, um, another company had started a Facebook group and I thought that might be a great idea. And it was like, Olivia, no, like back on track. You're not starting a Facebook group. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. But I think it is. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Really, really hard just to stay focused. So deleting it from my phone has been a game changer. I, I absolutely love it. And I feel like I feel in a much better place mental health wise as well, just in terms of happiness. I'm more present with my family. I feel like I'm just more in the moment and I'm willing to also like if I am sitting waiting at a traffic light, although you shouldn't be doing that, or any place like where you're just in a queue, like there's always just that temptation to pick it up and look at it. Yeah. Now that's completely gone and I feel like I've sort of got over the addiction of constantly (laughs) like refreshing the (laughs) newsfeed. It's so good. Well, actually the thing which sort of leads me on quite nicely to, I feel like if one overuses social media, it can it can almost be like that bully that bullies you. And when I came on the TLC podcast, we talked about bullying. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind telling that story a little bit, because uh, listeners, just for a little bit of background, although I will put the link to that conversation in the show notes, 
I I said how I had felt overlooked and maybe at school and just sort of not even not even worth being bullied. But you know there were things. Let's not go too much into it. But um, that actually, when I think about it, maybe it was quite a motivating factor. And Liv, you had said a similar thing. Yeah, so when I was in high school, I was really badly bullied by several groups of different girls. And for me, that was one very challenging because like, I love empowering other women. Um, but this was the opposite sort of situation for me. And um, it's, it's almost like it sounds like it's not that sad, but it was really challenging because I was actually bullied for being really good in school. Like I was um, really friendly with all the teachers, probably a bit of a teacher's pet. I got really good results. Um, I was good at sports and I was I was good at a lot of the subjects. And I quickly realized that other people did not like that. They wanted me to sort of dumb down who I was and, and how like I got these grades. And I just was never willing, I was just never willing to do it. And I think that came up, like the, the bullying scenarios came up throughout my business career as well. Like I am, and it's been through social media that I've been targeted again by different different people on there and that has been it's been a challenging one but yeah at the end of the day it always it does inspire me to go on one to help others that are maybe going through it um and two I think it it does there's that element of you just want to go on a uh, lead a happier life and I think be a bit more successful and just yeah it's not it's not an I told you so um but it's yeah I think it's I don't know where it comes from I'm not sure I think I, I know for me I think I felt like they weren't seeing the real me yeah so I was being bullied and I was like but you're not but you're you're not actually seeing who I am so it's like that determination to show it um do you know what because I know that when I was being bullied the thing that I would go home and I tell my mom and she would say don't worry they'll get their comeuppance one day yeah. <laughs> have you ever checked in or have you ever you know seen where any of those people are and does it matter to you now I think yeah at the time I remember the only way that I got through it in high school was um I used to say to myself like oh in 10 years you'll be in a completely different position to them because you're putting in the hard work now and I guess that's been like sort of throughout my whole journey in business because I have I don't want to say missed out in a childhood but I have given up like a lot of what teenagers would usually get up to like I was always working, I was always building my business and that's what I wanted to do. So I think that was it for me, like that sort of, well, I might be sort of not winning right now, but later on, like <laughs> we'll get there. Um, and I have I have met some of those people in my hometown, like who are maybe working in bars, restaurants at university. And to be honest, it hasn't affected me at all. I've just thought, you know, good for them. Like I don't wish anyone any harm or any negative feelings. So, but yeah, I think there's definitely that. Um, yeah they'll, they'll look on and there's been various newspapers I've been featured in where I mean some of the headlines have just been a bit outrageous like thanks <laughs> to the school bullies which yeah, yeah. Geez. Um, but yeah so it doesn't bother me and I, I only wish them well to be honest because mm. I think what you always need to remember when someone has been nasty to you or um, making you not feel great is actually something that's lacking in them like you're holding a mirror up to them and it's reflecting something in them that they're not happy with. So I think when you look at it from the other person's perspective, look at it through their eyes, I actually feel a bit sorry for them and think that's that's a real shame that you have that pain. Um, and I think that's one of the ways I've been able to sort of deal with what happened. I, To be honest, when you were telling me the story, I did think, 
I wonder if the jealousy or the bullying was born out of the fact that academia came really easily to you. And obviously, it, when you're in that environment, it's one of the biggest measures to how you are perceived, like whether you're clever, whether you're good, whether, you know, getting good results in school is real currency. Yeah, and I think that's so wrong as well that, like, that that's even viewed that way because, I mean... I've not used anything that I learned in school really and there's people have so many different talents like I was good at a lot of those things but I went on to start my own business but I've used very few of them and I don't think we should ever be defined by any sort of achievement like I've won awards and I thought that's that was the be all and end all at the time but actually I think happiness comes from within and any award achievement grade is never going to make you feel better unless you've worked on yourself on the inside okay you're so young to be (laughs) speaking so much sense you really and that really isn't meant to be patronizing it's just that I've had a lot of therapy to get to a similar place Yeah, I've done I've done a lot of inner work as well the past couple of years. <laughs> so I'm full of admiration for you. It certainly it comes from a place of gosh, I wish I'd thought like this when I was 21 because I think life would have been much easier to navigate and it wouldn't have seemed as difficult or as or as complicated. And you touched on something there about maybe missing out on childhood a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you went into business. And at the time were you thinking well, that's because I'll be able to retire early and I'll be on my boat <laughs> in the med. Thanks very much. Were you thinking about that or were you just thinking, actually, this is what I want to be doing. I don't want to be at that party. I want to be working on this business plan. Yeah, I mean, I have to say it's been it's been a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> I always I always laugh about with this with people when they say like, oh, when are you going to retire? And I'm like, 25, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to be on my yacht at 25. Anyway, um, but uh, no, I mean, for me, it's like, it sounds so cliche, but it's just never been a choice. Like, I think it was like, I actually interviewed the Netflix co-founder on the podcast. And he said that entrepreneurship is a compulsion, compulsion, Compulsion? Oh my God. Compulsion, yeah. yeah. So uh, Mark Randolph said that uh, entrepreneurialism is a compulsion. And I feel like that's certainly what it was for me. Like, I think if you cut me, like entrepreneurship actually runs through my being. (laughs) I've always just been, even when I was really young, was always like trying to start little businesses and like sell my brother my toys. And it's just always been there. And also such a like strong work ethic as well. Like I've always, I've never ever shied away from like really working hard. And, And I think that's the only reason, one of the only reasons why I'm where I am today, because it has been proper hustle it hasn't been completely the laptop lifestyle mm-hmm. um, so I didn't want to be at any of those parties again I wasn't that popular I probably wasn't invited but <laughs> but yeah it's just always been the thing for me and it's it's the thing that lights me up it's the thing that gets me out of bed now remind listeners where you're Scottish but where were you where did you grow up so Glasgow Okay. Now, what I find really interesting about this is something you said a minute ago when we think about location and the fact that when I was growing up, it was always, you go to London and stuff will happen. And you've done something really amazing from not, I mean, yes, it's a, it's a big city, but it's not necessarily a place that would be considered 
a huge business hub in the way that, say, London would be. And did was there any or ever any geographical disadvantage? Did you ever think, oh, I need to move the business to a, a different place? And the way that you were talking then as well being, I'm thinking, God, if she just moved to San Francisco, imagine what she could do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is, I love that because that is really, really interesting and 100% true. So I started to operate in Glasgow and when I realized that my ambitions for the business were quite big as in wanted to hit that million pound mark, I realized that just offering the service to a Glasgow-based market wasn't going to work. Like we needed more houses, more people, like just a, a larger demographic, larger geographical area. Um, so we started to stage nationwide in the first, I think maybe two years into the business, that's when I thought, right, I need to start taking installations further away. Um, and a lot of that work was in London. And you would see me often driving home to Glasgow from London, which is a six hour drive usually um, at 10 o'clock at night to get back for an installation the next day in Glasgow. Um, so it was very, very challenging to get that off the ground in terms of you couldn't, it was like you were in that growth period, you didn't want to turn down any paying clients. And then, yeah, I mean, I just was in complete burnout the first three years of the business. I really spread myself so thin across everywhere, but always provided like that great service, hence why we've been successful. But yeah, I mean, it would have been a lot easier to have started in London and probably just operate in London. Um, but yeah, there was there was never the choice of moving there, but it's an area that we started to service, which was which wasn't easy. I'm just thinking for listeners, and obviously we have an international audience that we're speaking to, but there might be people listening who think, I have a business idea, I have a small business, I want to scale up, I want to do things, but you know, I don't live, I don't come from a big town, it's quite a small network, I don't know how to get the contacts in the big city. You can't you experienced a similar thing. Um, obviously the UK is uh, smaller um, just in terms of size so maybe it can be easier but still a door being shut in your face in in London uh, is a door being shut in your face wherever you're knocking from and so it's just really to say to a listener if you are maybe from a smaller town or maybe not a particularly busy metropolitan area that it's still possible yeah that is 100% the case because one of the things that I love about social media I know that I've just been bashing it there but um one of the reasons that I love it and it's the reason that marketing wise that our business has been so successful is because of this little phone we've all got that we can start to market to a worldwide audience and for me like I often say this I can't believe like a girl from Glasgow like was sitting for dinner with the prime minister and doing all this crazy stuff. I won an award out in Las Vegas. I have been to Nashville to speak at conferences. And it's like, how did that actually happen? Like, because I too am from a small town in Glasgow and that's like some of the first properties ever staged. That's where it all began. But it really was picking up my phone and using social media that helped me one, grow to a national level and then not that we operate nationally, but we've touched lives internationally via social media, hence why I've been speaking in the American associations and American industries is because of what we've done. And actually, it can often be even more of a success story if you have started it from a small town. And funnily enough, when I was at the Federation of Small Business um, Awards, so many of the companies that won awards that day 
were from tiny places in Scotland with like the population of about 2,000. And they were winning awards UK, UK wide. And they were the people that actually took that award. And I thought, that's amazing. Like location should never, ever limit you. So when did you start getting asked to speak at things? Like you mentioned Vegas, you mentioned Nashville, you mentioned dinner with the prime minister. Are we talking the current prime minister? Yes, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) He just needs to stop shafting the beauty industry. Um, It's very upsetting. Um, But so people start asking you to speak at things. So you go from having to walk into a room and address the fact that you're A, young and B, a woman potentially to having people say, actually, we now want you to speak. And so you've got this completely different thing where the last thing you want to do, I guess, in that situation is address any shortcomings that you may think that you have, but it's a completely different dynamic. So how did those opportunities start coming to you and how did you adapt in order to be able to fulfill the role of speaker at a business conference, for example? Yeah, so actually, like one of the first events I ever spoke at was probably my first couple of months in business. And it was fortunately, I met someone through a networking event who, again, took me under their wing a little bit and said, like, look, Liv, you've got a great personality. Like, I love your style. I think it'd be just really fun and different to have you speak at our event. And looking back, it was so bad. Like I was terrible at speaking. My presentation was cringy. Um, but it was like that first hurdle. Like I was—I don't think I was a natural public speaker. Um, but it was just something that I done time and time again. So I really just started really small town. I mean, my first event there was maybe like ten people in the room, and it kept going that way for the first year. Sometimes I was in a room of thirty. And it kept growing from there. And it really was just, again, posting on social media, getting my face out there and building relationships with people that that host these types of events. Um, and then there was one particular event I was asked to speak and there was 400 people in the audience. Um, and then from there, someone asked me to speak at the Las Vegas conference. I accepted. Um, basically, it sounds so weird, but I was accepted into the Hall of Fame um, in the property industry when I was 19. Um, um, and then get flown out there and just spoke to that audience and it just like it sounds like it just happened but it was a lot of showing up at events sometimes where there's three people in the room and I guess that's the ones people don't see because you don't post images of that one but it's you never one of my favorite things about speaking at an event is you never know who's who's watching you never know who's in that room and if you are going there to hopefully sign new business you might not get anything from that event, but you don't know who's seen your brand and who's actually going to recommend you further down the line. And that really is the power of it. And that's what I say the power of online marketing is as well on Facebook. You never know who's watching you. Mm. And it could be potentially your biggest client a few years down the line. And there's, so there's two things running concurrently here. There's the business, there's the staging, the properties, which obviously has huge logistic uh, machinations that you're obviously overseeing right, but then first, I don't have to manage my mom manages that side <laughs> but then so that so with you it's very much about personal PR and there's the business but then there's uh, Liv Conlon businesswoman Liv Conlon entrepreneur so that's actually two very different roles but they obviously as you said you don't never know who's in the room so they complement each other hugely how important is networking and 
being out on the scene, whatever that scene might be, been? And if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, right, okay, uh, maybe I need to, I don't know, go to my local chamber of commerce if they're in the States or what have you, where do you begin? And how, have you got like a a 101 on networking? Uh, Yeah, so basically where you begin is local. I know that I've spoke about locally a lot, but I think first of all, like, when you look at something like this, I think it can appear like a mountain, like, oh my God, how am I going to get to like Las Vegas to speak or the other side of the world? And I always like take things in bite-sized chunks. So what's the most local event that I can speak at? Because right now, as a business owner, when you're starting out, chances are they're going to want to have someone that's local and to support local businesses. So start off locally and then I just say grow to where you can go. So first of all, I started speaking in smaller towns, then cities, uh, and then different countries I was asked to. So always think about it. Let's start small. Let's think local. Things like your Chamber of Commerce, maybe something like BNI, Toastmasters, any of these events where you can start to build a network of people. And to be honest, that's all business is, is building connections with people. I'm speaking to them about what you're doing. And I would say it's like, it's a numbers game as well. So if you can speak to, to get 10 clients, speak to a thousand people or whatever you work out your ratio is. Um, business is a numbers game. If you need to speak at the next 50 events to get one really big one, then I would do that as well. It's all about building experience. I'm learning from things and just constantly speaking to people is probably the biggest piece of advice I could give. And and it sounds basic, but at the end of the day, I think people have forgot, especially with online phones, iPads, social media, Zoom, that, you know, in-person meetings or I guess over the screen is so, so important. Mm -hmm. Um, And one person can take you further than any other opportunity in, in the world. So how do you, the thing I want to unpick here, and you might not have a formula for it necessarily, but you've got to leave somebody feeling that they have confidence in you or believing in you as much as liking you. Do you know when you've done it and do you know when you've not done it? And has that helped you mould how you approach anybody regardless of who it is? Yeah, so one of the biggest things I learned from the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, I think I read that when I was like 12. And (laughs) I I absolutely love that book because, you know, one of the most, I think one of the things they teach in that, one of the most important things when you ever meet anyone is not to talk about yourself. Ask them questions about themselves. That, let's be honest, that makes us all feel important. It makes us feel like if you go and have a conversation with someone and they constantly ask you about you, you're probably going to leave that conversation being like, wow, I really like Emma. She's so nice. Someone that goes and talks about themselves, probably not so much. So actually the best way to sell your business is by not talking about it, I feel anyway. So whenever I met anyone, um, it was always about, so what do you do? Tell me a bit about yourself, your family, really get to know them on a personal level. Ask them how you can help them. Do you you need to introduce to anyone? Let me think. Is there anyone I know or have in mind that could be a good fit as a client for you? Um, And that has really been probably one of the secrets of my success has been just really putting that other person first. And ultimately, when you make them feel really good, they're going to like you. And then they're going to be like, right, so what are you doing? And maybe I could help you. Um, So it's a bit of reverse psychology. um, And it, it really, really works. 
No, I like it very much. And I remember years and years and years ago uh, coming back into the office one day when I worked on magazines and I'd had a, a, an uncomfortable date the night before. I was like, oh, I just no chemistry. And my friend was like, well, what do you do on dates? And I was describing it. And she said, why don't you just go and interview them, which you do every day with celebrities? Just interview them. And I never thought of that. And it completely changed how I then approached every social interaction. Because as you say, if you make somebody open up and feel comfortable, then... Yeah, it's a secret. And I always think, like, for me, it's quite logical because whenever I speak to someone, obviously a podcast is a bit of a different scenario. If you are interviewing or you're being interviewed, you are talking about yourself quite often um, being interviewed. But, yeah, I always think, like, it's almost, like, common sense that if you're a nice person, you don't really want to just talk about yourself because I, I know everything about myself. So I would actually rather learn about someone new. Um, but I mean, it really is. And I am very aware of this when someone comes up to me, like the amount of people that meet me at events and want to tell me about just them. Right. That'll be the person I'll never remember because they just made no impact. So I always think, how can you make an impact on someone? And I think being memorable is very, very important. The way you dress, the way you hold yourself, the way you speak, all of that plus making them feel great because it's actually never about what someone says to you. It's how you've been left feeling mm. and you are left feeling important and special and VIP. You're going to remember that person over the person that you're like, oh, that wasn't a very nice interaction. I, I was just bombarded by words there and I can't remember any of them. <laughs> now you've, you've talked about a book that you read, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But when we talked on uh, Thought Leaders podcast, you said that much like me, one of the reasons why you started the podcast was so you could get a one-to-one -one conversation with people that you admired. <laughs> it was a shortcut. So I'm really curious, um, who do you admire? Who do you look up to? Do you have any people that you follow or look up to for inspiration and how many of those people have you parlayed that into a podcast conversation with oh yes I love this um so one of the people that I look up to most is definitely Tony Robbins and I've been to a lot of his events like have you yeah I've been to Business Mastery and Unleash the Power Within and that was just like it was just incredible it's like you go and you dance for like it's a business event where you, da you dance for five days because it's all about raising your energy and you know when you're energized things start to happen um, but also is that, is that the one in florida at christmas uh, so that's the no it's not the florida one that is david no. Anthony. that's um, it but the other two so the first one was in london the second one was in rotterdam um so i love tony robbins i listen to his stuff and i think his voice is just so powerful like it really pierces through to to in in my head and everything so i, I love him I marketing wise, I'm a massive fan of Russell Brunson. I read all his books in two days, so three books in two days. Um, and he says that one of the most powerful things that you can do for your business or your brand is start your own show, such as your own podcast or your own YouTube channel. So we're on the right track there, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I've had, I've actually had such amazing, inspirational people on the podcast. It's insane. Obviously, you were one of my favorite interviews. Um, I had the oh, co-founder, I think I've mentioned, Mark yeah. And what I loved about Mark was that he founded Netflix and he is just the most down-to-earth guy ever. It was just like sitting, having like a beer with one of your friends. He is so amazing and just so helpful, so lovely um, and so honest. So he was 
definitely a highlight. And then I've had such inspirational women. I'm Madeline Black, who had actually been a rape victim as a, as a child. So really different stories. Um, and it's just been like a whole range, not just entrepreneurs, but people that are speakers and they've used some of their hardships to turn it around and, and change other people's lives. And I'd say that's probably one of my favorite stories to hear. Do you think that's the thing? Because I definitely think that was for me. It was about unpicking, unpicking what had got people to where they were and the challenges that they faced along the way. That was definitely the genesis of this podcast was, um, I see where you are now and I admire it. Please tell me that story and please tell me the, the unfiltered, truthful story because I don't mind, I don't mind you telling me about the bad stuff because we got, got to the good stuff eventually. Yeah, I think that's what it is. And I think I've got a little bit of an obsession with hearing what people's stories are because they're just so like everything in life's about a story. Again, if you want to be a good networker or grow a business, just tell stories your whole life and you'll get there. People remember stories more than they remember anything. But one of the things for me when I started the podcast, it's called Thought Leader Chat Podcast because it's about thought leaders. And I believe that, you know, a thought leader is someone that's here to change the world, even if it's in a small way. And one of the things I found about everybody that's been on the podcast is that no one has had like a rosy journey. No one's had like a smooth sailing um, trip to where they are today. And actually, I'd say 98% of people that have been on the podcast have overcome a massive hardship in their life whether it has been abuse or it's been poverty or it's been divorce or it's been something that's just really shook them up inside and made them completely change their life and others. And I'd say that that is the one thing that successful entrepreneurs and people have is a hardship that they've overcome or a struggle. And that I think that's just incredible that these people use those hardships to, to, to be better, to, to do good in the world. It's true. It's that thing of there's always a reason not to move forward or there's always a reason to say no. Um, something might have happened and it's just saying, well, I refuse to say no to that and I refuse to let that hold me back. I will move forward regardless and because of it. Um, so it's interesting. I love the fact that that's the basis. So have you tried to get Tony Robbins on the podcast? Yes, my team are on it. So my brother is actually the podcast manager, Jack, um, and he's awesome. He's the one that got uh, Mark Vandolph, the Netflix co-founder, um, he researches all of our guests and he's also the one that, that gets them to come on. And there's been some guests and I've been like, what? They've they've said yes to coming on the podcast. That's insane. Um, it doesn't even feel real at times. Um, but yeah, so we're working on it. Um, and I know that you want Arnold on your podcast. I was so about to say Arnold Tony's my your Arnold. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, let's do it. Similar location. Let's rent a studio next to each other and then we can have lunch with them afterwards. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and we've got Karen Brazy coming on the podcast. We've just got such cool people with great stories and great advice to give. Um, so yeah, it's really one of my favourite things that I've, I've ever done and it's connected me with like-minded people like yourself. Yeah, it's a really great story and I really appreciate you sharing the details of like, you know, selling nail foils for a profit to moving up to this incredible business journey and then also just these really interesting bits of advice about how to move your business and move yourself forward as well. Um, it's been such a pleasure. Listeners, I will obviously put the links to Liv and everything that we've discussed in the show notes. I would expect you to see her again soon on my feed or somewhere because when we can, 
we will definitely be hanging out. I have no doubt about it. Um, but Liv, thank you so much for taking the time and for coming on the show. Oh, perfect. Thanks so much for having me, Emma. It's been so much fun. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you would like to speak to me, please do email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Alternatively, if you want to speak to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then I encourage you to click the link in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode, and join the closed Facebook forum. It's a lovely safe space. You have to answer a couple of questions, agree to the forum rules. But once you're in, oh, we have a lot of fun in there. I shan't give away any more. Just click that link, join, and I can't wait to see you. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.